Man, it's good to see you. Thanks for enduring the weather and getting here for church. I have to admit, God's man of faith and power, this is like triple the crowd I expected uh, because I moved here from Washington where people are, you know, a skiff of snow and they shut down the city for three days. So thanks, man, way to go. And those of you who are online who decided to stay home in your chones with biscuits and gravy in front of the fireplace and be a part of this with us, thanks for being here. We're really glad that you're here as well. Hey, I want you to take a Bible or a smartphone with the scriptures on it. And if you're really good at this, I want you to go to Proverbs 16 and Hebrews 5. If you're not really good at it, just go to Hebrews 5, okay? Um, but I want you to have this in front of you. We're going to spend our time in those two passages, Proverbs 16, Hebrews 5. And I would love for you to have that like in your sight as we walk through it. So that would be great. If you're new here, my name's Jim. We are Summit Church. We are a community of followers of Jesus seeking to follow him faithfully, seeking to let him lord and rule in our lives, trying to find the way of Jesus in practical ways in our life, and to not have, this is our focus right now, not to have a compartmentalized or fragmented faith, but to have an integrated walk with God that goes below the surface into every part of who we are, how we think, how we live, the decisions we make, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're on this journey together. Glad you're here. I uh, learned this phrase. There's an app I told you about a few weeks ago called Lectio 365. They use this phrase in that app. If you've started using it, you might recognize this, that God wants to restore and restory us. I've been thinking about the incredible power of narrative. And all the time in our lives, we're piecing together a narrative. We start to believe a story. So what's going on in our lives, if it's, if it, you know, we start thinking things about ourselves, believing things about what's in front of us, usually we are negative, pessimistic people, and so we anticipate negativity more than positivity. Uh, maybe we allow our past to label us, to pigeonhole us, and here's what God's wanting to do, ongoingly in our lives, restore us and create our imagination where we're restoring our journey and seeing it the way God sees it, understanding how God is involved in it and where God is taking us. It's a powerful mental health exercise and habit. So that's kind of what we're doing as we let the scriptures speak to us in this regard. So uh, we've been answering this question in um, John 6, 29, and you're supposed to memorize this verse. So I, I, I don't have it open in my Bible. I don't think you should have it open in yours. Um, you know, um, Let's see, I mean, I really want you to do this. I'm trying to think of some, you know, operative motivation to get you to do it. But it's such a great verse. They asked Jesus, what, is it, what, do, what do we have to do to do the works that God requires? And John 6, 29, Jesus said, the works of God are this. This is the works of God. To believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. What does it mean to really believe in Christ? Man, that means it's a game changer. That means it's integrated into how we think, feel, respond, behave, choose, how we see possessions, how we see our challenges. Man, to bring Christ to really believe. So that's what we've been talking about for these weeks is how do we grow our belief in the presence and power and work of Jesus in our lives and deepen that. And so we've been looking through Proverbs 14, or 16 rather, 
and walking through some disciplines, spiritual disciplines. Here's what we're learning. Spiritual disciplines that help us take the work of God deeper into our being so that we become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. A spiritual discipline, just as a reminder, is not just willpower, like working out or eating less. It is partnership with the Holy Spirit to allow Him to help us operate differently than we would in our own power, to be more than we can be. This is the promise of the presence of God. And so we're talking about these spiritual disciplines in Proverbs chapter 16, and today we're in verse 4. So here's our reading going to be Proverbs 16, 4, and Hebrews 5, verse 7 to 10. And we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of submission today. So uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and then Hebrews 5, if you're willing and able to stand for the reading of God's word, I invite you to do so. And we're going to read Proverbs 16, 4. And then Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 10. Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. If you have that in your Bible, I want you to mark it there so you can get back to it in a few moments. Then Hebrews 5, verse 7 through 10. Um, here we go. Turn to the wrong page. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's the word of God. You can be seated. Leave your finger in Hebrews 5. We're going to be walking through that in a moment after we get through with Proverbs 16.4. But let's start with this big idea today. The big idea is that, that God's sovereignty is, uh, what's my word? God's sovereignty is absolute. And this is great news for you. God's sovereignty is absolute. We're going to talk about the sovereignty of God, and we're going to talk about our pathway of submission. So here's the three things I want to talk to you about today. God's sovereignty is absolute. The pathway for us, submission, is the path for followers of Jesus. And, uh, man, uh, submissive sons and daughters of God are perfect and powerful. So let's walk through those three thoughts together. First of all, the sovereignty of God is absolute. And this is very good news for you. I don't know if you're a worrier. I don't know if you uh, spend much energy thinking about what could be. Um, I'm, I'm realizing later in my life how much of a worrier I am. It makes me exercise foresight, uh, anticipate problems before they occur because I'm certain that problems will come. Uh, but I've recognized in my adult children how much that has created worrying in them. Uh, if my youngest son in particular, if worrying was an Olympic sport, he would be a gold medalist. Uh, he just, I think he was five, wasn't he, Sue? He was five years old or so when he was worried about whether he would be able to find a wife. So that's like worrying way in advance. And so uh, we do this. But here's the thing. God's sovereignty is absolute. And this is great news for us. So let's look at Proverbs 16.4 and go through this verse because it'll help us understand this. 
And this is really pivotal. What we're talking about is how to be followers of Jesus who are resilient, who are faithful to God, who do not get overcome by life circumstances, who do not get overcome by worry, who can push aside anxiety, who can rest in the sovereignty of God. Uh, so, man, Proverbs 16.4 is really powerful in this regard. It says this, the Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for the day of evil. So, so check this out. Let's go, let's go through some key words there. The Lord. One of the first things to understand about the sovereignty of God is the concept of Lord, like who God is. The word there is Yahweh. We sang it in a song today, only we spelled it differently. We put vowels in there. In the Hebrew, there's no vowel. It's Y-H-W-H. It's like Pat Sajak, man, buy a vowel. Like, why is there no vowel? There's no vowel because the Hebrews felt, the Jews felt that God's name was so sacred, it should not even be spoken. So it is spelled without vowels because there was never an intention that someone would speak the name Yahweh. Why? Because he's the sovereign, awesome, holy God. Sometimes I think we could really learn a deeper degree of reverence for who God is as Lord. Lord. He is the Lord of, see that word, everything. Is he the Lord of the good people? Yes. Is he the Lord of evil? Yes. Is he the Lord over creation? Yes. Is he the Lord over the governments of the United States and all other countries on earth? Yes. Is he the Lord? He's the, what's he Lord over? Everything. If you really believe this, it is a game changer in your own navigation through life because he is Lord. That means his vote is the only one that counts. Some of us have relationships where one person gets one and a half votes and the other person gets a half vote. God gets all the votes. I mean, it's cool when you think about what you think about certain subjects, but at the end of the day, there's only one opinion that matters. It's his. He's the Lord he is the sovereign. He is the Lord over, guess what? Everything. Working everything to its proper end. Meaning, God's playing chess while you and I play checkers. God is doing something that's way beyond our comprehension. And here's a fact, Jack. It's going to turn out precisely how God decides it's going to turn out. This is, for some people who maybe have a rebellious personality, this is frustrating news because I want more autonomy. I want, I want more control. But man, if you can rest in this, that means you can trust the one who has everything in his hands and will guarantee that everything plays out to its proper end. This means God doesn't lose one of my favorite things, people ask all the time, I've been a pastor a long time, teach us the book of Revelation. And they want to know, you know, who's the Antichrist? And, and when is the rapture happening? And how's this going to play out? And are we in the end times right now? And I'm like, dude, let me just tell you my synopsis of the book of Revelation. We win. I don't know a whole lot more than that. I know that we win because the Lord is the sovereign over everything. And uh, the sense of control that humans have is an illusion. We have agency, and God wants us to use our agency to do the best we can, to work hard, to, you know, he calls us to stewardship. So we reap, and we sow, and we reap. This is all real. God's not mocked. If you don't, if you don't sow, you don't reap. This is, a, you know, God, God put these patterns in place. 
But I'm talking about something bigger than that. I'm talking about the overarching story arc of God. He is sovereign over it. Nobody's going to get away with anything. It's going to turn out exactly how God prescribed it to turn out. And you can rest in that. He's sovereign over everything. Now, I was thinking about uh, why is this so hard for us to get? And it's hard for us to get because we can't really connect the dots sometimes between what's going on in this moment and God's sovereignty. You ever see, I was thinking about escape rooms. If you ever been to an escape room, uh, there's all these puzzles. And whoever created the escape room knows how all the puzzles work together, what sequence it's best to operate them in. But there's all these puzzles and you're cracking a puzzle. But after you get through all the puzzles, now you go, I get it. Or I was thinking about uh, Rubik's Cube. I don't know if you're any good with a Rubik's Cube. I would rather smash a window with a Rubik's Cube than actually try to solve one. We were on a road trip last summer and my wife became obsessed. She does have a tendency to become obsessed occasionally. She became obsessed with solving the Rubik's Cube. So we found a YouTube channel, I think it was, of a Russian teaching you how to solve the Rubik's Cube. So while I'm driving for hours, we're listening to a Russian accent. I picture him having his shirt unbuttoned here with some gold chains, going, I will fix Rubik's Cube for you. You know, I, I was just, and his voice, and he, and she kept hitting replay to catch on, you know, as she's messing with this Rubik's Cube. And now she has mastered the Rubik's Cube. Now they make bigger ones with tinier squares, okay? Uh, I have no interest, and I could never, if someone put a gun to my head and said, solve a Rubik's Cube, you have limitless time, or I will kill you, I would say, just do it now. And sometimes life is like a Rubik's Cube. You think you've got it figured out, but there's still some squares that don't match. And you know what? I've got solid color here, solid color here, solid color here. I got two funky squares how in the world do I get those two funky squares to play well with the others? And you're throwing up your hands. And it's at this point, it's good to remember, there is a sovereign God. It will turn out precisely how he prescribes it to. He is Lord over everything. I was thinking about painters. You ever seen a painter that starts slinging paint? They've got this giant canvas and they start slinging paint and they're doing stuff, and you're like, what, what, what? And when he does his very last thing, and then he rotates the canvas, you go, whoa, you see the picture. Our life is like that a lot. God's slinging paint, and you don't know where it's going. I don't see the picture here. I don't understand how this works with this and how we're gonna come out right. But God has it under control. We are living in the mystery of the unfolding of the story of God. But this we can know. When we attach ourselves to God, when we, when we embrace his sovereignty, we can rest. I don't get it. I know I'm supposed to do everything in my power to do the best I can. And God's got the rest. A lot of men I know don't pray anymore because they say, well, whatever God wants to do, he's gonna do. Other people say things like, well, however it turned out, that's how it was supposed to turn out. I don't think those are always true. But here's what is true. God says, I want you to do everything in your power to live out your own salvation, to work out your faith, and rest in this. I've got the whole story. 
There's enormous peace there if we can find our way there. The sovereignty of God is absolute. Evil will be dealt with. When you've been betrayed or hurt, this is why it says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. I don't need you, God says, I don't need you to waste your energy and time getting revenge. I want you to do what I do. I want you to forgive. I will take care of justice in the end. And you can't be trusted with justice anyway because once you're a a painful part of a story, you lose your ability to be objective and clear. Trust it to God. This is why I say, and you'll hear me say this a lot over our long time together, Christians ought to be absurdly happy and completely fearless. Why? Because of the sovereignty of God. We rest in his sovereignty. Now, that's not the whole story. We've got more story to unfold. What's the second part of the story? The second part of the story is that submission is the pathway. So that's why I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 5, because we have this fascinating discussion about Jesus, the Son of God, learning obedience through his reverent submission. This is incredible. So I want you to look at Hebrews 5 again. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on the earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. What comes to your mind when you see that part? He cried out in reverent submission with tears and cries to the one who could save him from death. What comes to your mind there? The Garden of Gethsemane. Here's where we have to learn submission. Jesus is heard by the Father, the one who could deliver him from death, because of his reverent submission. Do you remember his prayer in the garden? He knows exactly what's about to go down. He knows he's going to be beaten. He knows he's going to be beaten almost beyond recognition. He knows they're going to jam a a crown of thorns upon his head. He knows that he's going to be hung on a cross virtually naked. Now, we don't talk about this a lot, but it's the most humiliating. This was a This was an execution, a form of execution designed to not only slowly and painfully kill your enemy, but to do so in the most humiliating way possible. And Jesus knows all of this is about to happen to him. And in the garden, he's crying out to the Father. Do you remember it says that he he sweated, as it were, drops of blood from the intensity of his cries. And what does it say here? He was heard. He was heard. By the one who could deliver him from death. And yet he wasn't delivered from death. He was heard, but not delivered. What was heard? His reverent submission to the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. There's a secret right here for us of reverent submission to God. To the one who makes all things come to their proper end. And who brings together, in fact, I, I put in my phone the, um, the Proverbs 16.4. I, I texted myself that verse in the Amplified Version. Listen to it this way. The Lord, the absolute and sovereign, has made everything to accommodate itself and contribute to its own end and to his own purposes. Even the wicked are fitted for their role for the day of calamity. God's working a thing. God's doing his thing. And so what do we do? We are submitted to God, the sovereign, and we cry out to him with reverent submission. Submission is a powerful word, and we don't like this word. And uh, women and wives particularly have been um, 
you know, categorized, called to sometimes really bizarre definitions of this when the scripture says for a wife to submit to her husband. The verse before that says, submit to one another. But let's talk about the word submission. Sub is under mission. Think about submarines. They are under the marine, under the water. Submission is to put your life under the mission. God is working his mission on the earth. God is orchestrating complexities that would blow your mind, how everything works together, how this is going to lead to that, 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 connecting dots you can't even see. So put yourself under his mission. The other thing about that term submission is that it's a, it's a military term, which means to align in military array. So if you're a wise soldier, you will get in line and stay in line in the formation to which you have been called because this formation is going to help us win the victory. So when you get out of formation, when you don't sub to the mission, you get out of formation, God's working his plan, but you're over here all by yourself because you will not submit. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, I understand the mission, the redemptive mission of the Father, and I place myself under that mission while I cry out to God in pain and fear and anxiety and clarity about how hard this is. I still place myself under the mission of the Father because if I do that, where am I? I'm properly aligned in military formation to kick devil butt to overcome in the end, to rule and to be victorious, to be at the end standing in glory with God, victorious. If I refuse to align myself in his formation, I'm now out on my own where enemies can make easy prey of me because I'm all by myself. So, man, listen, the sovereignty of God is absolute. You can rest in that. That's super good news for you. Your role and mine is to submit ourselves to his story arc, to his mission. That means my priorities have to be subjugated to his mission. I cannot make my priority God's highest priority. My priorities matter to God. When I'm anxious, when I've got a kid going through a crisis and I'm praying for them or a grandchild, when I've got an economic challenge, when I've got a physical ailment in my body and I'm calling out to God with cries and tears, calling out to God, begging God to do what I want him to do. I also, by faith in his sovereignty, place all of that under the sovereignty of God and say, Lord, do your thing. Do your thing because your thing is the thing. So um, watch this, back to Hebrews 5. He offered up prayers and petitions on the earth with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. We'll pick it up from there in just a second. Jesus learned obedience? God himself in the flesh learned. He, he doesn't have to learn anything. This isn't like he didn't know how to obey and now he learned how to obey. That's not what that is. Sometimes you think you love someone. And uh, I do lots of weddings 
and lots of premarital. This is classic. You have a couple, you know, they come together. Hey, we want to get ready to get married. And you say, hey, tell me this. This is my first question. Uh, tell me, I'll ask him, why her? Why now? And they'll say something like this. She is my soulmate. She gets me. She makes me laugh. She stands by me. She encourages me. And then I'll say to her, why him? Why now? Oh, he, he's funny. He's a hard worker. He takes care of me. He meets my needs. And I'm like, yeah, well, uh, you just said, why should I get married? Because this person is going to be my little servant and do everything I want them to do. And I remember, I, I learned this only recently in my life, that like the love you have at the altar on your wedding day, it's really cool, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. But that's not what you're vowing about. Anybody can stand there on their wedding day feeling super romantic and all these people are there. Like the love you feel in that moment is not the love you're vowing about. You're vowing about in sicker, sickness, poorer, right? in difficulty. You're vowing about when you don't feel this way. That's what you're making a vow about. So here's what happens. You say these two magic words on your wedding day. I do. And then the rest of your marriage, you keep learning more about what I do really means. You knew I do. You vowed I do. But you learned I do over time. I love my wife. 39 years and I've never seen a marriage I envy over my own. But I have learned love for her, not in the easy times, in the harder times. This is how Jesus learned obedience. He knew obedience. He was obedient. He had never been disobedient. But now the Father is asking him to endure the cross. Now the Father's saying, I'm going to take you on a journey you may not understand and it's going to hurt. But I have, a, I have sovereignty over the story arc. And if you'll stay submitted to me, there's going to be an outcome to this that will blow your ever-loving mind. But I need you to learn obedience in suffering. This is the hardest obedience to learn. And you may vow obedience to God because like me, we all do this. Man, if I give my life to Jesus, everything trends up into the right Man, he's going to prosper my life. He's going to bless my kids. He's going to bless my body. Everything's going to get better because now God's hand is on my life. Yes, it will. And he is the Lord over everything, working it all to its proper end, orchestrating the story of God to the very end, and you're a part of that story. And by submitting to him, making him Lord of your life, you're saying, my preferences, my desires, even my pain and happiness are subjugated to the mission of the Father. I submit with reverence and tears and crying out and anguish. This separates the men from the boys. We live in a culture saturated with the sovereignty of self. I feel, finish the sentence, and that sentence now means that everyone around me has to submit to how I feel about. And if they don't, then they're hateful and they're mean and they're controlling. No? Uh, let me tell you about the church Jesus is building. Jesus is building a family of God 
that are reverently submitted to him who understand that the Father is sovereign and they are subjugating their own self to the mission and story of God, believing that he has the sovereignty, the power, and the authority to work all things out to their proper end. This is the winning team. He is Lord. I am not. I submit. And man, he's going to do his thing. And it may get really terrifying for a while. It may get really painful. You may experience earthly loss. But you will gain eternal victory. And when God does restore all things, it won't be that he just says, hey, way to go. Way to take one for the team. No, it will be the restoration of what was lost. Not just a reward for endurance. Jesus, because he did this, is given the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess because of his reverent submission to the Father. So, back to the verse here. He learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Made perfect. Jesus was made perfect perfect. The word perfect there doesn't mean without flaw. It means complete. Now, Jesus, who was, who is the Father, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are one God. Jesus has a mission before creation ever starts. The Bible says that he was crucified before the foundations of the world. God already knew the entire story that he's going to play out. Jesus knows from eternity that he's going to take on flesh and die on a cross. And as he does this thing, he becomes complete. Now, the personhood of Jesus is complete. Redeemer, Savior, Advocate, Friend, it's complete. And now, he once made perfect, he becomes the high priest for everyone who wants to know God because of his reverent submission, learning obedience through what he suffered. So here's the connection. Okay, I'm going to give you this pathway. Reverent submission obedient suffering made complete leads to priesthood i'm doing this my left to right for you it's your right i should do it the other way okay so you you see the sequence and this is the same sequence this is the way of god this is the way of jesus so it's our way too so here's your path you want to be deeply connected to god you want to be god's uh you know fully faithful disciple Reverent submission, man, obedient suffering. Sometimes your obedience and submission is going to put you in a place of pain and you're going to do it anyway. This is going to lead to your completeness in Christ, which is then going to empower you to be a part of his redemptive mission on the earth. People in pain don't want to listen to someone who's never had pain. If you've been through a divorce, You don't want to talk to people who've never been through a divorce. You want to talk to someone who's been through a divorce and survived the other side. If you're a cancer person, you don't want to talk to somebody who's never had cancer. You want to talk to someone who's been through cancer, who gets it, right? So this is our path. Your redemptive mission as you join the family business of Jesus to bring the redemptive heart of God to other human beings in your oikos, that happens this way. You are reverently submitted to Christ. You are obedient to the point of suffering Making your faith complete, now useful to God in his redemptive mission. As a priest, we are the the priesthood of God. 
this is beautiful. It's beautiful. You know why it's so beautiful? Because you might be going, wait, wait, wait. I don't want suffering to be any part of my story. Well, earth, fallen earth is suffering. Nobody escapes that. So what God's offering you is his sovereignty through your suffering and his redemptive work in your suffering so that that thing that the enemy thought he had his foot on your neck and was about to crush you for good becomes the very birthplace of greatness in your life. And because you're reverently submitted to Christ and because you're obedient to the point of suffering, he is changing you, completing you so that you now have a redemptive voice in the people who are around you who are suffering, who are hurting, who are confused. They can't see the story of God. It looks like a Rubik's Cube to them. I can't figure out the puzzle. And you're right there as one who's born scars of obedience with reverent submission as you've cried out with tears to the one who can rescue you, but you reverently submitted yourself to his plan, his path, now you are perfectly positioned to be a powerful, this is the third conversation, submitted sons and daughters of God are perfected and powerful. If you ever hang around Christians who have no effect on you, the reason is because they have not done this. Christians who followed Jesus through hell and back, Christians who followed Jesus and subjugated their own personal will to the will of God, they have a depth of relationship with God that other people don't have. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think, was the one who said it this way. Before God uses a person, he breaks them deeply. And as we are going through our brokenness, and brokenness is not an option. Life is going to do that to you. It's not like God is going to snap you so that you're usable. Life will do that. The enemy will do that. You'll do that to yourself. But God will join you in this pain, and he'll redeem it all as you submit to him. Friends, what we're talking about today is it's just the difference between casual, consumer, weak Christianity and life transformation in the soul of a person who has given their whole life to Christ. I want to read you one more passage, and then we'll wrap this up. Romans chapter 8. And I want, it's, it's lengthy, so just kind of read along. It's Romans 8, starting in verse 5. It's a little lengthy reading, but it's worth it. Those who live according to the flesh, this would be Christians who do not submit their lives under the mission of God. Uh, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't even belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. I lost my spot. Because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to that. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you're going to live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God 
are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And if we're children, we're also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. All of that tells you that you have two options in life, slavery or sonship. Sonship used in a gender-neutral way. We're talking about being a child of God. You are either going to be a slave, which we are all slaves by birth, in, in sin, in a broken world. You can remain in slavery, which is to say that you, are, um, you have a taskmaster. You are bound. You are, in, uh, you are handcuffed. Slavery or sonship? When the New Testament talks about what we can be with God, Two phrases are used all the time, adoption and bondservant. So to find our way here, we are adopted into the family of God, co-heirs with Jesus. I'm a son or daughter of the living God, purchased by the blood of Jesus. And Paul uses this phrase a lot to describe himself. I am a bond slave of Jesus. A bond slave was a person who actually sold themselves into slavery because they didn't have the economic resources to provide for themselves or their family, and they would sell themselves to a wealthy family so that that family now became obligated to meet all the needs of the family. So we are sons and bond slaves. This is our identity. We cry out to the one who has sovereignty over everything with tears and cries, but reverent submission to him because we are adopted into his family and our life belongs to him. He is our master. He is Lord. And as he keeps perfecting us, making us complete through our obedient suffering, we are now empowered to be used in the mission of God. Psalm 1 and Psalm 23 have been pivotal passages for me all since COVID. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1. Blessed means happy. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful, but here's what he does. He delights himself in the word of his God. And he is like a tree planted by rivers of water. Man, this is what it's like to be reverently submitted to God. A tree planted by rivers of water whose leaves never wither and who bears fruit in its season. Everything they do prospers because God's hand is on their life. Psalm 23, the Lord Yahweh, the sovereign almighty God is my shepherd. Therefore, I lack nothing. Man, that's our life, fully submitted to the sovereign God who's going to finish his story arc, who is sovereignly going to weave all this nonsense together, and it's going to all make sense in the end. We just got to keep trusting that and living with him. Here's what I want you to do. Karis is going to keep creating this moment for us for you to take one minute to respond. And I want you to respond in this way, to ask the Holy Spirit, to help you enter into reverent submission to the sovereign God. This is a willful decision to reverently submit because you're crying out for what you see and want and need. But we reverently submit. So uh, this is your response. I want you to take a minute and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit's help. Holy Spirit, show me where I have stiffened my neck. Show me where I have refused submission. Maybe you've got a confusing story playing out in your life right now. 
Show me, Holy Spirit, how I can reverently submit to the Father in this chaotic thing that I don't understand. Help me live there, trusting in the sovereignty of God. I want you to take just a minute and do business there. The second response, you can pick up from there or pick up on your way home to pray for someone in your oikos. Someone, the oikos is the New Testament term for extended household. These are people that God has brought right into your traffic pattern. Neighbors, coworkers, maybe even family members, uh, people you like, people you don't like, but God has brought them right full view of your life and that is so you can bless them. So I want you to be praying today for someone. Ask the Lord to quicken to your mind a face or a name of someone in your oikos and I want you to pray for them. So in the next minute, and then Karis is going to lead us in a song, and, and during all of this time, you can move over and get prayer, you can take communion, but I want you to do business in this minute and throughout this last song. Holy Spirit, help me find my place in reverent submission to the Father. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you, and we have such a limited view of how all this works. Help us to just lift our eyes from the chaos and look at your face. When we can't see your hands, when we don't know your plans, we can still see your face and know that you are sovereign. You are faithful. And we confess that we subjugate our own will, our own desires, our own preferences to the mission of God. Have your way in our lives. And may you, Holy Spirit, quicken us to deepen our devotion to full submission to sovereign God and to being made complete as we obey through suffering. Then may you use us in your redemptive mission as you move in the hearts of the people around us. Help us. Speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen.